Hello, everyone. Welcome to Chomping After Dark, the podcast where we deep dive into the stories of our favorite video games, movies, TV shows, and comic books. This episode has been long in the making, but we are finally getting to it. Post-apocalyptia has been a topic of many video games and movies, and the subject of our episode today is no different. But actually, this one is a little bit different. It involves mechanical animals and a certain fire-haired protagonist. Yes, we are finally getting around to Horizon Forbidden West. But before we dive right in, let me introduce you to the voices that you'll be hearing today. So I am Shay, and I will be your host for today's episode. Joining me is a man who professed that after rolling credits on Forbidden West, it permeated his dreams for a fortnight. Some were simple and innocent, him wandering the beautiful scenery to take in the vistas. Other times were fraught with peril as he frantically slid into bushes to hide from the machines. But one night, as he laid his head on his pillow, and descended into his dreams. He dreamt that a particularly naughty slaughter spine began to undo the buttons of his shirt. He was too frightened to move or speak, but as the slaughter spine began to move towards his belt buckle, this man found himself starting to get excited. He started to feel a tingling sensation in his pants as a protrusion began to grow. And he immediately woke himself up from his dream, threw his copy of Forbidden West in the trash, and has since gone to therapy for the unfortunate dream. So please welcome Rich Meister to the show. Rich, how are you doing today? I like the elephant robot. <laughs> That's not quite the slaughter spine, but you know what? It's uh, yeah. slaughter spine adjacent. I think it's neat. Which, what is that's Tremor Tusk, right? I'm pretty sure. Yeah, sure. This game came out six years ago. I don't know. <laughs> it's all the same. No, that is by far my favorite machine as well. Like that first moment or the moment the first time you see one, it's fucking epic. It's one of the most epic points in the game because they're like, oh shit, I'm taking on a mechanical oleophant. Oleophants. Oh yeah. Akia. But how you doing today, man? Eh, you know, hanging in there. <laughs> By your chinny chin chin. Chin adjacent. We're here. It's early. Yeah, it, we're we're switching our roles today. Usually it's night for you, morning for me. Yeah. I I'm better yeah. I'm better served in the morning and you're better served at night, so we're going to be opposites today. Yeah. I'm actually, feel like, not to, like, 
toot my own horn, but I'm feeling pretty good right now. I'm feeling like my tongue is live and my brain's focusing and functioning on all cylinders. It's going and could ride that high, man. Yeah, it's gonna go. I'm gonna ride it as long as I can. I'll say that. I'll say that. Life is a highway. Yeah. <laughs> and you want to ride it? <laughs> you want to ride it? Sure, whatever. Yeah, yeah, something like that. Do you remember this game well enough to talk about this? Because it's been a it's been a minute since you've played it. We'll see how it goes. I could just make some shit up if we have to. I believe in you <laughs> to make shit up. Yeah, yeah. Well, so from this point on, there will be spoilers that's right if you are concerned with getting spoiled on the game please go play it and come back to listen when you have completed it it's a pretty long game even story-wise so be prepared but now turn the lights down low Ooh, it's my light impression slip into something more comfortable that's the zipper set your spear sure and is. glider on the floor by your side Thump. And sip on an exquisitely flavored beverage as we tell you a tale by the fireplace. (sighs) Hopefully that plays. (laughs) Yeah, we'll see. Yeah, to be determined. The game starts off six months after the events of Horizon Zero Dawn, where Aloy defeated Hades. Aloy has been searching the various biomes of the planet for a working backup of Gaia in order to restore the planet's rapidly degrading biosphere. Silence, the person responsible for stealing Hades, contacts Aloy and implores her to continue her search in the Forbidden West region. She takes off on a new adventure to an unknown area. So, Rich, with what was shown in the trailers leading up to the release, can you remember what you were most excited for in this new region, both in narrative and exterior experiences? Um, the water? That's <laughs> <laughs> not, like, I'm not, like, being a dick. Uh... Like one of the big selling points, I think they tried to push really hard in that trailer was like these, like higher focus on these aquatic machines and the, you know, headed towards the coast and all that. Yeah, yeah, there was a big focus on that in the trailers for sure. A lot of it was shown, and what the trailers showed was gorgeous because that was like exterior experience wise. That was the one thing that to me stood out from the first game going into this game. Like, everything else was, like, typical fanfare, but that part was the main sticking point for me. Yeah. What about narrative? Was there anything from the trailers that you can remember that got you excited for the for the narrative of this story? Honestly, no. Uh, I, I just knew there was some sort of excuse for why you had to keep going, but I wasn't concerned with what it was because I think the narrative of that first game is so good and... Uh, We'll get to whether or not there needed to be a second one narrative-wise yeah. later. I, you know, like, I, I'm in your camp because I can't remember much of what the narrative was being shown in the trailers. Other than there were, like, warring clans. And I thought the game was going to be a bigger focus on that. Especially when you first boot up the game as well. 
there seems to be like a greater focus on the warring clans, but that doesn't stick. No, it's more of a background, the Tanakh stuff. Yeah, yeah, which we'll get into that a little bit more as well. But yeah, that that was one of the things I do remember for the trailer. I was like, ah, more of the warring clan stuff. Eh, it's not my favorite aspect of Zero Dawn. So we'll see where this goes. But I will say this, like, upon seeing that trailer, one of the things I wanted to see was where they kind of took Aloy and the rest of the people on Earth with the the technology. Because Aloy was getting out there going into these various areas which were long deserted and they had this technology and i was curious how that was going to play a role in the story of the second game i think that was the thing i was most excited for to see where they would go with that how much they would integrate that technology into the narrative of the story did you kind of feel the same way was that the thing narratively you were most looking forward to i don't know if it was really on my mind in a major way of uh, more of like if we're spreading out like how is the technology um affecting other survivors and other corners of that world and i think we get a little taste of that with the the quen i think they're called Mm. um but I i don't think it goes anywhere that super duper interesting no i mean and we'll get yeah we'll get into that later as well but i think yeah i was i was at this time, watching the trailer, my hope was, how are they going int- to integrate this technology in a fun, interesting way? At this point, that's how I felt. So, All right, let's move to the next part of the story then. Aloy and her old friend Varl cross into the West. Upon arrival, they find themselves in the middle of the ruling Tanakh tribe embroiled in a civil war between Chief Hikaro and the rebel leader Regala. Aloy tracks Silence to a facility where she finds Hades badly damaged and permanently deletes it. She recovers a Gaia backup without its subsystems, giving her some hope to repair the planet, but is interrupted by a group of futuristic humans, or as Rich affectionately describes them, the... Kryptonians. That's right, the Kryptonians. The group consisting of their leader, Gerard, and his lieutenant, Tilda, enforcer, Eric, and accompanied by a clone of Sobek named Beta, possess advanced technology that makes them impervious to any attacks from Aloy. They assuage Aloy's attacks and manage to take a second Gaia backup while Aloy barely escapes. So at this point in the story, we kind of went through a lot in a really short time, but that's also because it's kind of like the game is littered with a lot of side story and a lot of traveling to get there as well. So realistically, story-wise, there's not a lot that really just happened, but in the game, a lot just happened, if that makes sense. But at this point in the story, it's unclear who these people are, the Kryptonians, or where they are from. So Rich... Fair point. Next next question. Um, <laughs> when you first encountered them, what were your thoughts on them, Rich? Uh, initially, it was fucking what? <laughs> um, yeah. This is not where uh, I thought this story was going. The funny thing is that I believe somebody basically predicted this on Reddit 
like shortly after the first one came out and talked about how there's that whole subtle detail in the background a detail they drive home in the opening hour of this game uh that you know the elite tried to make like an escape shuttle to escape the apocalypse and uh like this colony ship apparently got destroyed but there was this theory of like what if it didn't get destroyed and that's kind of the space we're going to yeah yeah i i remember when i first saw that I was like, the fuck? Because, like, you had, you had mentioned this on the pod multiple times. You said, like, the Kryptonians, wait till the Kryptonians showed up. Shay, wait till you get to this point where the Kryptonians show up. And the whole time I was, I was not really knowing what to expect. Because I don't know much about comics or Krypton or the Kryptonians. I know, you know, obviously from Superman, but that's... The extent of my knowledge when it comes to that. So when you had mentioned that, I had no idea what to expect. I think, yeah, I think it's the perfect way to describe it, though. If you're, like, you're just minding your own business and fucking Jarrell shows up. Fucking, yeah. I, like, I was, I, like, these three hum, humans or whatever they are at this point. Uh, yeah, they are humans. I didn't mention that. Okay. I want to make sure. These three futuristic humans kind of just descend from seemingly the ceiling of the uh place that Aloy is in and you're like what the fuck is going on and it was it was bizarre and that initial fight was kind of interesting as well because that whole fight you're not supposed to win it it basically is to show you how formidable your opponents are at that point which yeah i mean they drive that home really quickly and i think that was that part was effective um you know the the showing up of these humans the existence of them was a little bit bizarre but they did drive home really well that these futuristic humans are really not to be fucked with like they are quite tough yeah but we don't know why at this point now the the first like point of rising action in this game uh, I want to backtrack a little bit, is when um, when Aloy and Varl cross over into the West and they find themselves in the middle of that civil war between Chief Hikaru and Regala. I thought that's where the game was going to focus more on, with a backdrop of, like, Aloy also trying to save the Biosphere. Even though the game starts out more with the Biosphere stuff, it seemed like from the trailer and how quickly they showed this stuff that that was going to be the focus. Um, did you kind of feel that way as well, Rich? I wasn't really sure where it was going, but I could see that. Yeah. Being sort of the, like it's weird. Cause it feels like it's putting a ribbon, like it, it, it's tying up a loose end almost very quickly from the end of the first game. And that thread was like attack on even at the end of the first game. Like the first game wraps up really nicely and they sort of tack on this, like, well, what about this thing? And it's like, well, why did we even set that thread up? If we're going to abandon it a few hours in granted, it was like 25 hours in for me. Cause I, that's how I played this game. Uh, mm, but right. It should have been about four. Yeah, and the one thing I will say is I didn't play the Frozen Wilds. That's the DLC, I believe. Um, I didn't play that one, so I don't know if it connects that thread better, the one you're speaking. It it does. Uh, Frozen Wilds sets the precedent for uh, Hephaestus, the sort of uh, rogue 
uh, Gaia core. Yeah, I do remember reading about that a little bit because I did read up on that to some degree before jumping into this one because I wanted to at least have some knowledge of that that DLC before going into this game completely. Um, but yeah, I thought that focus was going to be more on the tribes, and I'm going to be honest with you, I'm glad it it kind of shied away from that. Like that wasn't the main focus because. My least favorite thing about the first game, and this is something we've talked about in the past, is fighting humans from warring tribes. Like, I couldn't care less about that. I've done that in enough video games. Um, It just wasn't as interesting in the game, in the first one, as learning about the world and learning about these machines and how Aloy and the rest of the tribes people are going to survive in tandem with this situation or how they can start to repopulate the earth and make it more habitable. So this one, like I thought that they were going to focus more on the civil war stuff, which I didn't really care about as much. And then the Kryptonian people show up and I was like, okay, like as fucking bizarre and weird as this is, because it felt really out of place with what they were setting up before. A part of me was really excited for it as well, because I was like, okay, this is more interesting than what they've been setting up until this point. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, did did you kind of feel that way as well, or was it were you kind of more indifferent up until this uh, point? It's uh the tribe stuff never really does much for me. I think the um and kind of for the same reason that you say those human fights are probably the least entertaining part. I think the uh idea that they introduced early enough on but again the way i was playing that first section by making myself fucking bored uh it takes too long to introduce because of that like uh giving you humans that can also uh tame machines shakes up that combat in an interesting way Mm. um i guess i was happier with the direction it went in than if it had just stuck to the tribe stuff but i mean there's no point of comparison now to even say for sure but i i wasn't I think that they went in an interesting enough direction. Yeah. Yeah, it's... I, I Yeah, up until this, till this point, they, they, the Kryptonians came out. I don't know their actual name. I keep just calling them that because I can't remember. It's that. the Kryptonians. Yeah, it's fine. They're from Krypton. It's I cool. was I was like... I was fucking struggling mightily to get into this game. Like, I told you, and I've documented it well on our main podcast the chomp cast but i was struggling to get through this game because i was like i could not care less about what was happening in the story up until these guys showed up i was trying so fucking hard and i was just every time i would bounce off of it and i was like nope i spent 60 dollars. i need to get through the end of this game for our game of the year shows that we do i was like i gotta make it through and then i'm glad i got to this point because i was like there's a spark of interest. And um, yeah, from there, it, it grew. So, For sure. All right, let's jump into the next part. I think I've said all I want to say. Zoe, a member of the nearby Utaru tribe, helps Aloy by guiding her to a control center where she is able to rejoin Gaia with her subsystems Minerva, or with her subsystem Minerva, excuse me. Gaia locates the other subsystems, Aether, Demeter, and Poseidon. Aloy sets off to retrieve each one and reintegrates them into Gaia. After her successes, Gaia instructs Aloy 
to retrieve the more advanced Hephaestus. Gaia discovers and reveals the extinction signal that triggered Hades originated from the Sirius system, which they suspect was sent by the That's future. where satellite radio comes from. <laughs> that's that's the uh, solar system that it comes that's from. That's the origin point of satellite radio. <laughs> Shut the fuck up. <laughs> which they suspect was sent by the futuristic humans. She later tracks down Beta and interrogates her, calling her a cuck. Beta informs Aloy that... <laughs> you fucking Beta cuck. <laughs> Beta informs Aloy that her group is the Far Zenith, colonists who fled Earth during its global extinction, and they have survived by having extended their natural lifespans. The Far can Zenith... I, can I pause you right there? Yeah. Because I really want to drive... I hate that. I think that's the dumbest part of it. I like, and this, maybe this is just maybe like, that's where the technology is too far fetched for me. Or I'm like, why wouldn't they just be the descendants? Why is it the same people? I think it's way dumber. <laughs> I do too, to be honest with you, because <clears throat> the thing is like, it's kind of shoehorned in there. Like they don't really go into a lot of detail yeah, about nobody, the technology. Nobody asks any follow-ups. They're just like, they're like, cause at first like, Oh, they must be the descendants of the people who left. Like, Oh no, it says here they're the same people. <laughs> yeah. They just extended their lifespans. How? No more questions. <laughs> right. Like, they, like they, they didn't get Aloy. wasn't like, yo, how did they keep their tel- telomeres in their, um, in their DNA from not splitting? Like didn't, didn't ask that question. Because that's the yeah. that, that's the shit that causes cancer, but um, if if it's not split naturally, but you know, like no, the thing that causes cancer is the fact that I'm smoking four cigarettes at the same time right now. <laughs> you sound like it. No, I'm just kidding. You don't at all. You don't. But thank- no, I agree with you. Was, oh my god, it, thank you. It is it is a bizarre thing that is just kind of like oh by the way. Yeah, it just feels like this, like, un. It to me, it feels like it raises more questions than answers, and I get why they did it, because they wanted these characters to have, like, a real stake in why they want the Earth back, but I don't think it's hard to write stakes in which it's, like, these descendants grew up on this colony where, like, conditions were shitty because of the, like, the planet, and they discover that, oh, the Earth is habitable again, and we want the fucking Earth back. You know, like, if I'm being critical which i mean that's the point of this whole podcast which i am (laughs) and you are too i so i've been watching star trek enterprise again because i haven't watched it in like 12 years and it's it's been pretty good like i'm in the first season but i got to this episode in the first season where um they find like a habitable planet and some of the uh some of the crew goes down and kind of decides to stay overnight um or no, no, this sorry, I'm mixing that with a different episode. They go down to this planet and Grab your sleeping bag, John Luke. Uh <laughs> and they're they're looking at this planet, uh I think it's called Primaterra or something like that, where there were colonists that left Earth to go like colonize elsewhere, and then sure. they were kind of left there and lost there. And they go there and they find that these humans uh went underground due to some radiation. Um, issues, and I'm trying not to reveal the whole story, but anyways, it's 70 years from when they were last seen or heard from, and these humans are the same humans, uh, some of them are the same humans from 70 years ago, but in that 70 years, they've f- somehow mutated their appearance to where 
they look kind of like bluish brownish and their hair is different and like some of their features are different and some of the people who are alive 70 years ago suddenly just magically don't remember that they were humans that they don't think they're humans anymore and the point of me saying the story is i think a lot of stories handle the whole like people who are humans disappear for an undisclosed amount of time and then come back um from the past i think a lot of stories handle that really poorly because the whole time that i was watching that enterprise episode i was rolling my eyes and i was like this is not how uh mutation works this is not how or human cognitive function and the whole thing is like 70 years is an it's another it's the same complaint 70 years is enough time where you could reasonably be like nobody uh who originally left is is here anymore they're all descendants right like it's like (laughs) Or maybe there's, like, one or two, like, really old person and they're not a reliable source because they have, like, fucking dementia at this point. Right. Right. And, like, the way they were setting up the story, it's... They do it to have some descendants for a very specific reason. And it was just, like, all... is like, neatly connected. And, like, for this story, I agree with you. I wish it would it would have just been descendants and, like, their their... It would have been passed down through generations yeah, of information, Eric, basically Eric saying Jr. like this is a last, last, um, last resort kind of thing. Like if you need to go back to Earth, last resort kind of thing. Don't go, yeah, unless you absolutely need to. Kind of sure, thing. but anyways, or even even if it wasn't a last resort, if it was like they had data from like their ancestors to be like, hey, after X amount of years. It's going to be safe to return and reclaim the Earth, and it'll be your time to do so. Right. Right, and I think that would have, like, coincided with uh, what we'll get into here in a little bit. But uh, Let me get the Watch out for the robot Tyrannosaurus Rexes. We left a bunch of robot dinosaurs there. Oops, sorry about that. Let me get into the last bit of story, and then let me ask you the actual question that I I prepared. Uh, The Far Zenith colony on Sirius collapsed, so the Zeniths decided to return to Earth to use Gaia through Beta's genetic makeup for their own recolonization off of planet Earth. Mother Gaia. They have acquired subsystems Eleuthia, Artemis, and Apollo, but Beta has stolen their Gaia backup. So, Horizon Zero Dawn ends on a very satisfying note, but it does leave a few questions unanswered at the very end. Perhaps the biggest question at the end of the game is who sent the signal to activate Hades? So after Beta answered many of the unanswered questions, Rich, what was kind of your thought process on up until this point? Was it the scenario kind of bizarre for you? Unexpected? Was it intriguing? We kind of touched upon that a little bit with the whole, you know, the extended lifespan, but just everything as a whole, how did it sit with you? There there are details I didn't jive with, but... I think it was bizarre and not nece- and not necessarily a bad way. Um, it took the sci-fi direction of it in places I didn't think it did, and I'm curious more so than ever about other parts of this world, and even like the possibility of you and I talking privately. How I think it could kind of be cool to do a game that's partially set on Far Zenith. Um. I maybe like they're never clear about like the amount of people there, but you sort of get the illusion that there might be like a 
a ruling class on Far Zenith, and I'd kind of like to see, like, a working class uprising on, like, this... Like, I want to know more of the details of why they want to get out so badly. Maybe things have gone bad for these super elites. Right, right. If only that happened in real life. But no, um... You know, like, the whole the whole dump of... Uh, info dump of beta was really interesting, and I think it provided a lot of context. And I will say... um Timing wise for me, I think it sat all right. It wasn't like the greatest way to disseminate that information, but when it comes to info dumps, there never really is a very amazing perfect way. There's good ways, there's great ways, never perfect ways. I think this in effect was a good way to impart a lot of that information. Uh, as bizarre as Maybe it, it is was that as she's a best character. They could. I mean, I stick more closely to, like, the, the scriptwriter doctrine of, like, show, don't tell. So I kind of am never a big fan of giant, like, well, here's what happened. That Like, sometimes it's unavoidable. Yeah, I mean, I, I think so in this situation, because, like, the next best situation would have been, like, as Beta is explaining it, they kind of show, like, a clip of what's happening as she's explaining it. They could have done it that way. But I think it wouldn't have been as effective at formulating the relationship between Beta and Aloy, which is very important later on in the game. And I think that's why, uh, because of the 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 route they took it, that this info dump needed to happen the way it did, because it really it really showed the uh, the differences between Beta and Aloy. Like they're they look the same. They're both from the same descendant. Um, Elizabeth Sobek, but they're two very different people, even though they look similar and they descend from the same person. And uh, I think that was really, really important for to have that sure. info dump to show that, um, since that's the direction they chose to take it. Yeah, for sure. But um, in terms of like the many of the unanswered questions being answered, I was. I'd say slightly to moderately satisfied with a lot of it. Um, I was like, oh, okay, that makes sense. Okay, that's cool. That's a little bizarre, but, I, you know, I can live with that. Yeah, you know, there wasn't anything that was, like, mind-blowing or, like, oh, shit. Like, I didn't see that coming or anything like that. It was like, okay, that works. Okay. My question's answered there, you know. I believe you immediately. Yeah, exactly. So, Let's jump into the next bit. So Aloy recovers Aether after helping Hikaru advance in the war and retrieves Poseidon from the ruins of Las Vegas, which by and large is my favorite mission in the game. Just want to say that as an aside. Uh, journeying to California, she encounters the Quen, a foreign tribe who are attempting to solve ecological crises in their homeland. So despite how I feel about some of the story beats of the series, I have to commend it for approaching the climate crisis through the medium of gaming. Anytime a game or a movie or any kind of um, art does that, I, I always commend it, you know, just for, for tackling that. Because I think the more um, notice we have, the more eyes we have on this issue, the better. But anyways, Rich, how unique and important is this iteration of discussing climate change within this game? Um, I don't know that it's unique or important at all, because I feel like it's just doing the thing that, like, disaster movies or, 
uh, video games do, which is like, there's no message about like we need to stop climate change. It's just using it as a narrative crutch. I mostly agree with you. I slightly disagree with you. And one angle I would say to where I think they are trying to say something is um, the 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 Quen that Aloy ends up teaming up with later in the game. I'm spacing her name right now. Um, the short-haired lady that she ends up working with. I know who you're talking. I do not remember her name, yeah. but I know who you're talking. I'll, I'll look it up after I make my point. But um, one of the things that she focuses on, because she's a tracker for the Quen tribe, and so she has a more primitive version of the technology that Aloy uses. So Aloy kind of. Gives... I think they say she has something sort of similar to the what would have been the uh, the focus that Aloy's using in the yes, first she, game. She has a more primitive version. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So, um, Aloy kind of, like, passes along the information from her more advanced focus, and the thing that this character talks about is that she talks about her tribe members and how they're kind of using this knowledge for their agenda, and she's trying to use it to save her tribe. Um, And the thing is, she wants to do that through the teachings and history of the ancestors that she's uh, looking at the information at and whatnot. And I think that is a really important thing when considering climate change now, because a lot of people, um, and I'm, I'm not targeting anyone. I promise I'm trying, I'm not going to make this political at all because uh, I don't like, I think people politicize climate change far more than it should be because it's not a political issue. It's a human issue. And this is how I feel about it. This is what I studied in university. Um, Some of you might tune out at this point. You can suck my dick. Um, But yeah, we can baby. (laughs) Because like, I I feel very passionately about this. Um, I try to keep a lot of my like personal opinions outside of gaming for the most part outside of these episodes. But this is one where I, I, I refuse to be quiet on. A lot of people assume that this is a newer issue um, used for political agenda. And the thing is, the reason why is that starts all the way back with Al Gore making that documentary. And that's where I think uh, the whole political agenda of climate change arose from. But this has been something that has been known for over 100 years. And you can go look at research and studies uh, talking about how uh, they knew about this over 100 years ago. They knew that burning coal and burning gas uh, in the way that we do is very harmful for the ozone layer and harmful for us in general as a whole for a multitude of issues, which they were studying over 100 years ago in the 19... tens they were studying this and they were posting this as scientific evidence and the thing is we need to learn from that we need to realize okay this has been an issue that has been known for over a hundred years let's work on this let's fix it let's put things in place and figure out the information that they had and compare it to now and we can make these models, which is what a lot of scientists, uh, especially like climate change scientists, are doing right now and conservationists and what have you. I think there is a big lesson to be learned from looking at the research of our ancestors. And that's what I think that is part. They start to touch upon that with this little story beat. Unfortunately, 
I don't think they take it to its fullest potential. And the other thing I would say about that is it comes way too late in the game. Because if you're like me, who is bored to tears by the beginning of the story and where it was trying to go, well, a lot of people aren't going to make it to this point. And that's unfortunate because it kind of oscillates. It like wavers on when it wants to address this. Like the beginning of the game talks about Aloy wanting to repair the biomes and the ecosphere of the planet. And then she's embroiled in the civil war and then she's fighting these futuristic humans and oh, we got this climate change issue we got to get back to. And unfortunately it never becomes the focal point of the story. And that's why I don't think it's important. Um, that's why I don't think that it's unique, but I do think, um, the, the lesson that they're that small lesson that they were trying to touch upon, but I don't think they effectively touched upon had they touched upon that more. I think that would have been a very pertinent and great issue or a great solution or an offering of a possible solution, but they never, they never reached the height of just coming out and addressing that and making that the focal point which is my big issue with them attempting to tackle that. Understandable. I'm off my soapbox now. But um I mean do, do like do you do you kind of see where I'm coming from? Do you do you agree with me at all or is that kind of like No, I understand what you're saying. I just like I I see the value in it, but I just never feel like it's being genuine when done in this this format like i don't know it just always feels to me like well we need a reason the apocalypse happens so we're gonna use a real one yeah it's kind of like it's like saying that the walking dead was a zombie show when it was more of like a soap opera with zombies in it essentially sure yeah i i get that's not exactly what you're saying but it's kind of like that so it's a vessel to derive a narrative from. Yeah, yeah. Okay. It's not the focus. Exactly. I heard it. I don't like it. I do. All right, let's jump back in. Aloy helps tribe member Alva, that's her name, with acquiring data. Meanwhile, she recovers Demeter. After obtaining a high-level clearance from the tomb of a mutated Ted Pharaoh, with the power of Gaia, Aloy traps Hephaestus and is attacked by the Zeniths. Eric kills Varl and recaptures Beta while Gerard steals Gaia. In an unexpected turn of events, Tilda, the right-hand woman, double-crosses them and helps Aloy escape. Tilda explains that she was romantically involved with Elizabeth and regretted leaving her. Having been inspired by Aloy, she wishes to stop Far Zenith. She further reveals that Silence has been supporting the Tanakh rebels to use them against the Zeniths. Aloy refuses to sacrifice the Tanakh and instead defeats Regala herself after thwarting the latter's final attack on Hikaro. So there are a few questions I want to ask here. Um... I want to kind of start with um, the like the kind of the softball funny part is when Aloy's helping Alva and the uh, Quen, that fucking leader. Uh, how funny was that fucking whole story beat 
when you go into the tomb of Ted Farrow and that guy is wearing oh, Ted so... Farrow's clothing and it's so weird. Like it's weird because it's like to us it's like laughably absurd, but like of course something like that would of course someone like this would exist. I mean, after seeing the last few years, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. But yeah, it was so like it was over the top, but then I like part of me is like Jesus Christ, I fucking hate this. And part of me is like Jesus Christ, I fucking love this cuz this is so close to reality right now. Yeah, I can't wait for this fucker to die violently. And by God did he. Yeah. In the most hilarious way possible too. But um yeah, so I, I really enjoyed that story beat for what it was. Put on these ceremonial slacks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Do it now. Fucking all right, I guess. So Eric kills Varl uh, when when the uh, Farzinus confront Aloy, and you can you can see there is some level of grieving after that when Aloy uh, is. Allowed to go back to the base after being recovered. Um, Goes back to the Normandy. <laughs> and taken care of by Tilda. Do you feel like the game kind of touched on and addressed the death of Varl well enough? Uh, from what I can remember, I think, yeah. Like, it's it, it comes at a point in the story where I think every character acknowledges, like, there's a lot going on and we have to keep moving. But, um... His death and the fact that uh, the other character's name I can't remember uh, was pregnant at the time it was like, oh, I I completely missed Zoe. Yeah, yeah, she's pregnant with his oh, child. Oh, I missed that. I think you're right, yeah. but I know I'm right. I believe you. Um, yeah, it, I think it addressed it well enough. Um, I, I feel like that kind of energy doesn't carry through to the end. I feel like they kind of missed that thread. It, it, yeah. It it could, and we'll talk about it a little bit night later, but it would have been nice to see kind of like a bittersweet end, but that's not quite what we get. We get more of kind of like a saccharin ending there. Um, saccharin this dick. <laughs> shut the fuck up. Uh, but here's the big question I want to ask. Aloy continues to be a pawn that others attempt to move for their benefit, whether it's the Nora tribe banning her as a child, uh, Silence, Gaia, both trying to use her to, you know, further what they need. Granted, Gaia is doing it uh, for the benefit of everybody and saving the planet, but still. Uh, the warring tribes, um, the civil warring tribes, or the influence of her predecessor, even Elizabeth Sobek, uh, kind of use it like the influence of her is kind of treating her as a pawn. So do you think that the constant struggle of others imposed authority defines who Aloy becomes and what choices she makes up until this point? Uh, I mean, it definitely plays some impact. People are, like you said, she is, I don't know if you want to go as far as necessarily a pawn, but like she is being played by different sides and, in the end, she's doing what she has to do. Like, I don't think she's doing making the wrong decision ultimately. So it's hard to sort of uh, categorize it through that lens. But there's there's some degree of uh, manipulation going on. Yeah, I mean, like, I feel like she's constantly being manipulated. And the thing is, 
or people are I shouldn't say that I think people are constantly attempting to manipulate her and it sucks because like she is touted as this in this game as kind of a war hero uh saving them from Hades and a lot of people kind of want to jump on her back and say like okay my turn help me now help me now like help us do this now and they're, she's constantly being manipulated and, or at least people are attempting man, to manipulate her and because she has a lot of goodwill in her and she wants to do a lot for people that that kindness and that willingness to help others puts her in the position to be manipulated and I think there are a lot of times where she knows she's being manipulated or there's the potential to be manipulated, but she, I think, knows that and goes with it because she realizes it's going to lead to the greater good. Sure. I think that's part of what makes her such a iconic character, and I think that's part of what people like about her so much, even if it's kind of very trite in some ways, and it, you know, it, it's too good to be true kind of protagonist what is it what is that called like a character who can do everything and makes all the right choices and stuff like that there's a literary term for it um there's a script writing term for that i'm trying to something nancy is that what it's called or uh mary sue mary sue that's it thank you in some ways it's it feels like she's kind of a mary sue but i also think that there is some complexity to her um, I was messaging you privately that she has a really good scene with Beta where she they're kind of coming to terms with, you know, they they became two very different people under the uh, predecessor Elizabeth Sobeck, and Beta's kind of being really down on herself because she kind of admires and is jealous of who Aloy has become and Aloy's like, Hey, like you're your own person. You don't have to worry about that. And I'll be here to help you out and protect you. And we'll help each other out kind of thing. And it was a like surprisingly really touching moment for Aloy. It made me have a lot of admiration for her. Like she wasn't being manipulated in that moment, but her being able to kind of persevere through everything she's gone through with everybody manipulating or double crossing her just made her such a, stalwart in that moment and um also when when she has a kind of like touching pseudo reunion with uh rost it's also a really poignant moment as well to to see that and uh for her to kind of defend rost despite you know the events of the first game so it's just like this game if there's any takeaway from it up until this point, um, one of the biggest takeaways for me was that Aloy is such a defined and powerful character. Uh, and there, like, there are a lot of reasons to admire her. For sure. Sorry, I feel like I'm doing most of the talking here. I apologize. That's okay, man. You got, you got, you talk to yourself. Yeah, but you just got, you got shit to say. I do. And like, to be fair, you played this game and finished it months ago, and I just finished it last week, finally. Yeah, six years ago for me. <laughs> you got that early copy. That yeah. Early copy. Yeah, they gave it to me with the first game. It did. Generous. Very generous. 
Okay, let's jump into the last bit of story. This is the mad dash to the end. This is the moment where we go over a lot of story in a very short amount of time, and then we reflect on the game as a whole, ask a lot of questions, and uh, ask the most important question at the end. So, without further ado, here we go. Aloy and her companions assault Far Zenith's base, while Beta releases Hephaestus into the Zenith's network, tying down Far Zenith's army with an army of mechanical animals. Silence disables the Zenith's personal defense system, which is their shields that protect them from any kind of attacks, allowing Aloy and Zoe to kill Eric, while Tilda kills Gerard. Aloy and Beta learn that the Far Zenith colony was in fact destroyed by Nemesis, a failed mind-uploading experiment they created. The Zeniths fled from Nemesis and hoped to steal Gaia to colonize a new planet. Nemesis also sent the extinction signal to Earth and is en route to destroy the planet. Tilda tries to force Aloy to abandon Earth with her, but Aloy refuses and is forced to kill Tilda. Silence reveals that Hades told him about Nemesis and also plans to escape Earth. But as he's about to leave, he has a change of heart and decides to aid Aloy against Nemesis. Aloy's companions disperse to spread the warning of Nemesis while Aloy and Beta reactivate Gaia. So, I realized as I was writing this, and uh, or I was reading it from what I wrote, there's one thing I kind of wanted to clarify a little bit. So... I want to kind of clarify a little bit further what Nemesis is, because I described it as a failed mind-uploading experiment that they created. So, the Far Zeniths, a lot of them use the technology to further extend their life. And that's kind of one of the reasons why these humans are a, quote, evolved version of the normal humans. But there were some of the Far Zeniths who wanted to take it even a step further, to be able to be physically and mentally um and not invincible but uh have everlasting life essentially so some of them were trying to upload their minds into this kind of neural network and what ended up happening is this this program kind of went haywire and combined all these minds together and all these minds were a bunch of egomaniacal people um and so they kind of festered together and created this giant mind type of thing called Nemesis. We've all been there. And that's, you know, it happened to everyone once or twice. But that's essentially what Nemesis is. Um, so that is what is currently on its way to Earth. So Guerrilla Games has come out and said that they plan to turn Horizon into an entire universe. They have already they already have some games in the works, such as the upcoming VR game. With the threat of Nemesis on the horizon, Rich, how do you think the narrative will up the ante in the third installment of the series? Um, I think uh, that we're gonna launch a Thunderjaw into Nemesis, Gurren <laughs> Logan style. Yeah, yeah, exactly. No, I was Your hoping Thunder Jaw is the Thunder Jaw <laughs> that will pierce the heavens. <laughs> um, I was hoping you were going to bring up the thing that we we concluded last night when we were talking about it privately. Oh, 
which point was that? I don't remember. So I was kind of talking about it with you privately, and we were talking about how um, Nemesis is going to come to Earth, and you thought it would be a cool idea that if instead of that happening, that some of the game takes place on the far zeniths. Home oh world. yeah, 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 yeah. And granted, it's it's been destroyed at this point. But we were joking around about how basically we thought that um, after Z or after Nemesis comes, that they're gonna, you know, take a fair amount of control of the technology, and some of the humans are gonna launch into space, and they're gonna end up meeting up with the Normandy. And after the third game, it's gonna be revealed that the Mass Effect universe and the Horizon universe have combined to be no, one. See, what you you said that, and what I specifically said was, I hate that. <laughs> you said, no, you said, I would fucking love if that happened because of how dumb it is. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. At a certain point, you're like, that's the stupidest thing that could possibly happen. Yeah. So, yeah, do it. <laughs> yes. And I said, as, as a final retort to that, it's only great if Aloy and Jetter Shepard fuck. Yeah, which will will happen. Most certainly. I mean, that's the fanfic everybody wants, but... Um, Everybody's into it. Yeah. I mean, to be to be realistic, though, uh, about how they're going to up the ante, I don't really know, because Nemesis, we don't know what it actually looks like. Is it a computer program? Is it like a ball of energy and mind? What is it exactly? Like, it shows a, like this kind of, like, holographic image of it when Tilda and uh, when Tilda's trying to convince Aloy to go with her to flee Earth. We see um, an image of Nemesis. So we kind of have an idea of what it's going to be. But how can Aloy and the rest of the crew fight a ball of minds? So I'm with curious... their balls. So I'm curious how they're going to work that, but I, I have a feeling that... Um, they're going to have to get a lot more control of the technology that exists in this world. And I have a feeling there's going to be even greater use of the machines than like the, unlike the first two, like the first one, you have a little bit of that. Um, the second one, there's a lot more use of that, especially narrative. Cause some of the tribes actually use the machines, which is a big point of the narrative that kind of like, it's big for five minutes. And then people are like, ah, whatever. Uh, I think they're going to have to even further their knowledge and use of the machinery that was left behind. I mean, the whole idea, though, is what Nemesis is, is like this corrupted AI that like works on a higher level than the corrupted Gaia. So like it destroyed Zenith by hacking their machine, their systems and just like printing enough machines to kill all of them in a matter of hours. Right. So, I mean... It sort of feels like a, like, I think we just, like, control alt delete it, and then we're good. Yeah. Uh, and they're obviously going to have to use Gaia in some way, shape, or form. What they want to do is, before Nemesis gets here, they want to download malware bytes <laughs> and start a scan. <laughs> Adaware? Uh, yeah, yeah. The greatest free antivirus software that exists. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not sure how they're going to up the ante my my concern though is because it seems like a simple concept of wait till nemesis gets here nemesis gets here how do we deal with it that they're gonna kind of like pack the game out with fluff like they did a little bit in this game that's one of my concerns probably yeah were there any side missions that added more depth to the narrative for you mario kart 
I can tell you're taking this very seriously. I'm, that's a real. You, did you not do that side mission? No. There's a series of side missions where you play Mario Kart, where you are racing on the like uh, fucking steer things, and they're like Mario Kart power ups, and that's the one I like. Is that real? Yeah, that's real. God damn, I completely like. I wanted to get through this game, so I was like, I'm not gonna do any side stuff for the most part. I did a few, but not many. I like Mario Kart. <laughs> did that actually add to the narrative of the game? Oh no, none of it does. Yeah, yeah. That's that's one of my big issues with this game. Is like, it felt like it had a lot of that Ubisoft formula where let's put more shit just to put more shit in. I mean, some of it's good. No, no, it needs to add to the overarching narrative to be good. That tabletop game's really good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Machine Strike is fantastic. Um, I will say that. Machine Strike is a ton of fun. And you're right. Not everything needs to add to the narrative. But I would have liked a few of the missions. Like, that is one of the... And this is the first thing that comes to mind. I know you're going to scoff at this. In Biomutant, it doesn't have a really strong narrative. But one of the strongest parts is... By doing a lot of side missions, it adds to the main story. Same with Ghost of Tsushima. You do a lot What's of Biomutant. That's a better, probably better example. You do a lot of the side missions in that, and it adds so much more depth um, to the characters in the main story, and it gives you a lot more. So, this game doesn't have any of that. I mean, I don't think it's completely lost of that. I think there are those. Um like loyalty mission-esque side missions that definitely add to the main narrative. I, yeah, I guess you're right about that. With your your with the crew members in the Normandy. Right. That's fair. I like the what's his, the Tanakh guy? I like him. I was just going to ask you who your favorite character in Forbidden uh West is and why. Is him. I don't remember his name, but he's my favorite. <laughs> um I don't know. I just really enjoyed his the whole side mission arc with like you know forging him the prosthetic arm and everything. Oh, oh fuck! What's his name? Yeah, yep, yep. I'm gonna look it up. Sorry, uh, it's not Hikaru because obviously that's the main chieftain. Um, Katalo. Yeah, that guy. Yeah, he's pretty cool. I like his character a lot. Um. Besides Aloy, because I think Aloy is such a cool character in this game, um, I would have to say I think my favorite character was Erend. Okay, yeah, yeah, he's the uh, the Sun Kingdom guy, right? He's the he's like the he's kind of like the Viking guy who's Aloy's friend from the first game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, the fucking I don't remember the name of their settlement. Yeah, they, yeah. they were like the tech heavy people who dealt yeah. with the Sun Tribe a lot. Yeah. He's a he's a really cool character. Um, he provides some comic relief. He's a very loyal loyal character who gets shit done. Um, he was a really he's got a big fun warhammer. Character. Yeah, he was he was a fun character. He's really good. Uh, you know, another character I ended up really liking in the game was Regala. She is she's a pretty one note character, but I I liked her arc. Um, of you know, she was kind of this tenacious, formidable character who was incredibly brave, and she got shit done when no one else would get shit done. And when she, that's one of the things I didn't really write about in the uh, synopsis that we just read 
but when she she meets her end in that final battle and that's the way she wanted to meet her end is kind of honorably and that's like if you choose that route you can choose to kill her after you fight her or you can choose for her to assist you and she she dies in a pretty i think honorable and fair way but i really liked her ending as a character um what did you think about the whole tilda bit at the end of the game where you know, she double crosses Aloy after Aloy refuses to leave. Um not surprising, I guess. I feel like people are you know, changing sides with the Aloy has a history of people who like just betray her repeatedly, so we might as well add another one. Right. Yeah, that's kind of what I was getting to with the like whole manipulation thing as well. Yeah. Allegiances change with the tide of the wind. That's true. But I gotta be honest with you, it didn't it didn't sit well with me, like the whole betrayal thing. I like the boss fight. That is one of the best boss fights of this year. That final boss fight, I will say that. A very good boss fight. But the whole Tilda betraying her thing, because you know, up until that point, Tilda is like, I switched sides because I felt guilty for leaving Elizabeth and stuff like that, and I loved her, but it's not really played up in in that ending. It's more like an ego thing. Yeah. It, like, honestly, I would have felt it a little being a little bit more impactful if she's like, you can't leave me, I can't leave you again, I can't be without you again kind of thing. I think that would have had a little bit more Making it a little more personal. Yeah, I think that would have been a little bit more impactful, but it just felt like what a lot of the rest of this game felt like, just very cookie-cutter, appealing to the least common denominator. And that's a lot of the dialogue, that's a lot of the story beats in this game. And uh, it's a big issue. I mean, like, that was a criticism of the first one, and so it felt like they doubled down on being cookie-cutter in this game. Yeah, I think you're, you're, there's definitely something to be said for that. And it, it sucks because there are some really, really fascinating good moments in the story beats. And there's some really good missions. Like I said, that Las Vegas one. Uh, there are a couple guys who are trying to get down into the Las Vegas bit of the West. And they can't delve that deep because uh, they don't have uh, underwater breathing apparatus and stuff like that. So Aloy has to go in there and she she's able to get down in there and you have a really cool underwater mission that really that that was the moment that really got me in the game. I was like, "All right, I'm fucking on board at this point." But um you get down in there and then you take care of the boss and all the enemies and then you clear the water out and then the guys come in there and you light up las vegas because it's underground at this point would you say that they delve too greedily and too deep i knew you're gonna say that and yes i do um uh, would, uh yeah no that like that was actually one of the ones i was excited for you to get to at the time because i think that's the coolest des- design wise it is the coolest area in the game it is by far the coolest area in the game and i thought it was really cool too where Aloy is like, you know, yeah, sure, I'll help you. And then they were able to kind of like marvel in the moment together where she it felt like at that moment she has these overarching missions to stop the Civil War, to save the ecosphere, to stop the Farzinus. But in that moment, she was like, cool, I can actually enjoy this moment. And I think that was such a necessary breath of fresh air in the game. And I wish the game had more of those cool moments. 
for um, sure as long as they didn't obviously wreck the pacing of the game which i don't feel like this one did i felt like it was uh it was well placed i just wish there were a few more moments of that but uh yeah so the last question we ask during these podcasts is would you recommend this game and the reason why we do this question is because uh we don't have a rating system here we don't do like a love it like it hate it kind of thing we don't do a scale of one to ten or anything like that it's just a would you recommend this game or not and uh you know we have some like asterisks like yes i recommend it but wait for a sale kind of thing like that there are those asterisks there um so rich i want to start with you would you recommend this game uh yes but with like an asterisk um don't play it the way i did like just kind of beeline it there's too much going on in this game and not enough of the side stuff is interesting enough to merit it uh i think there's definitely something valuable here but this game feels a little dated even compared to some predecessors in the open world like i don't think it has nothing to offer but i don't think it's the top of the line in terms of open world adventure games like this action games Hmm. okay that's fair um i'm also going to say i would recommend it but if you can get on sale i don't think it's worth the full price of of it um and it's hard for me to say that because there are some parts that i really enjoyed the game is fucking stunningly beautiful it is stunningly beautiful i mean the only game i can think right now on the market open world game that's as beautiful as this game if not in general is red dead 2 red dead 2 is still a fucking phenomenally beautiful looking game and just the pure depth in the world um forbidden west doesn't quite rival it but it gets pretty close it is a beautiful stunning game there are some story beats like i said that are really fascinating um they do some some good character development in the game they have some really cool aspects of the game like machine strike like we were talking about i i started to get into uh weapon upgrading and using the coils and weaves to upgrade my equipment and give them specific uh powers and upgrading aloy to the way i wanted to play her there's some aspects that are decently strong in that in that regard i did have some major issues with the game i had I had a consistent bug where I was hunting for items for upgrading my pouches or upgrading my weapon or upgrading my armor, and I'd go and I'd kill an animal or I'd kill uh, a machine. And so I'd run over to pick up, loot the body to get the items that I need when the body would suddenly disappear or the machine would suddenly, um, the the part of the machine that I shot off in order to get the resource I need suddenly disappeared. This happened to me at least 20 times. And it was incredibly frustrating because it's frustrating enough that you have to farm to get... Um, I shouldn't say it's frustrating. It's it's tedious um, having to farm to get those items. Having it bug out on me as consistently as, as uh, it did really, really turned me off. Like, I was completely disengaged um, at a certain point with that whole system. Because I wanted to upgrade my equipment to be like the highest quality, but then when it kept bugging, I was like, you know what, fuck it. I, if I can beat the game with this equipment, that's all I care about at this point, which I did, and 
um i think that's a shame because i really had a fun time like methodically thinking about how i take out each of these machines because it causes you to fight a whole like so many different machines and you have to think about how you're fighting them in order to get some of the items that you need i thought that was really cool if it didn't bug out which it did far too many times um which, sure which is really frustrating um I was telling Rich about this privately yesterday. This game is so fucking mediocre in terms of the narrative, in terms of the dialogue. Uh, I was telling Rich there's this one moment where, um, you know, you, you've just returned because Tilda you know, um, helped you recover and saved you from suffering the same fate that Varl did. And she's... She she eventually leaves Tilda's secret hideout and she's going back to the base and she gets there and Silence is there and um because she requested an audience with Silence and she's like I should kill you and Silence is like I don't think you're gonna do that because you need me and um she's like you're right I do otherwise I would kill you and then suddenly Zoe comes in like a minute later and Zoe's like I'm gonna kill I'm gonna fucking kill him and. And Aloy's like, guys, we got to just calm down and work this out together. And it was like the like the dialogue, the way it was presented was so fucking like robotic. It was like AI wrote it like if this scene was moving, this is how it would be. It was so fucking not bad, just painfully average and not good, though. And that that scene was like a microcosm of what the game was largely as a whole. Um in general, not to say that there aren't moments that are actually well written and poignant, but it was just the game feels like it is appealing to the least common denominator through and through from beginning to end. Everything it does, it's trying to appeal to the least common denominator. And that's not a bad thing because you got to sell games. And I get that they're a company. They are an entity. They need to make money. I totally get it. But I wish there were more moments where it's soared above the average to make those like to stick out more to elevate the game even further but those moments are so few and far in between um trying to think of anything else major that i missed uh a lot of the machines that they integrated into this game are really really cool i will say that there are a lot more machines and there are a lot of really cool ones and how they wove some of them or attempted to weave some of them into the narrative was pretty interesting. Uh, there's a there's a narrative reason for you to fight an Apex Thunderjaw, which is the T-Rex in this game, which is a fucking epic fight. You're fighting it on a beach. That was a really cool fight. Uh, you have to fight a robotic snake at the beginning of the game. And, um, the snake is fucking cool, it man. Is, it is like fucking uh, the, the Midgar snake. From Final Fantasy VII, but in a mechanical form. And terrifying. Uh, the, the the scale of the of the robotic monsters to Aloy is also just fantastic. So there's some really good things about this game. There are a lot of mediocre things about this game. There are a few major issues I had with the game. That's why I say it's yes, I recommend it, but wait for a sale. Especially with uh Black Friday rolling right around the corner. I'm sure there's going to be sales on it and stuff like that. So, For sure. Faux show. Yeah. Are there any final thoughts you have about the game, Rich, before we 
shut the shindig down? Um, that's that the snake is cool. So that's so that's what we say. <laughs> that's what we say. Rub a dub dub. That's what we say. That's for the grub, you little bitch. <laughs> <laughs> all right and on that note i just want to say uh if you want more content from us head over to swordchomp.com where we have other podcasts we have an article section we have merch picture of have, a goat we have a patreon we have a picture of a goat uh there's a lot of cool things over there uh if you are interested in getting to know more about us and check out what we do so head over to swordchomp.com that is sword chomp dot com like computer that's right like interwebs and on that note we're gonna get the fuck out of here i want to say thank you to listening to the show i want to say thank you to rich for uh, waking up early to do this thing yes uh thank you for letting me be your host i hope you end up checking out this game um it is a fun game i will say Uh, Take care, and as Rich always so eloquently ends the show. So that's what we say. (laughs) I'm glad that's a thing for the back end.